hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fanatomy Podcast. My name is Adrian Ash, and I run this shit show. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, today, we got another guest that's kind of outside of our typical format. Um, usually, I talk to other musicians about their favorite music and all that jazz. You know the drill, but... Uh, last episode was with Nova, my wonderful, amazing partner, and we talked about My Chemical Romance, and Nova is a comic book artist and uh, discovered My Chemical Romance through the Killjoys comics, so if you're into My Chem, go listen to that. Today, we have our own Johnny Leftwich, the producer of this show, on the pod today, talking about the pod. I sound like one of those podcast bros. <laughs> Anyway, Johnny's talking about the band Norma Jean today and how much they mean to him, specifically the album Redeemer. Um, he he really had a lot to say about this record, and I'm glad that he wanted to talk about it because I had truthfully never actually listened to it before, so it was a new experience for me too. Um, I was a fan of Josh Scogan. Scoggin? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but he was the original frontman of Norma Jean, and he went on to do a project called The Chariot, and then after that he did a project called 68, which was actually how I discovered Norma Jean, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Johnny wanted to talk about the Norma Jean album Redeemer, which features a different vocalist, uh, named Corey, and it was a really cool listen. I liked checking it out. I liked just having sort of a basic reference point of like, okay, this is a cool hardcore record, and then just having someone who just knew that record inside and out. That's the kind of challenge that I like to take on whenever I, whenever I talk to people on this show. Um, I, I really enjoy you know, listening to things that I've never listened to before and then just discovering a new appreciation for it. So it was really, it was really cool to get to dive into this record that I had never heard before. And, you know, we've got a couple other episodes on the way out coming like that. So if you're into um, me sort of being outside of my comfort zone, checking out music that I'm not super familiar with, just stick around because we got a few more coming your way that are just like that. So thank you everybody for supporting us. Um, if you would like to check out our Patreon, we have some merch over there. We also have the green room, which is our bonus content show um, where we just basically just dive into to like some green room conversations that you would hear like in an actual green room. <laughs> So if you're down for that sort of thing, go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash fanatomy. And uh, with that out of the way, I think I'm just going to get right into it and shut up and hand this microphone over to Mr. Johnny Lefwich, producer of the Fanatomy podcast. And uh, yeah, here we go. Take it away, Johnny. Wow, kind of a little bit of a, a different episode today because we're I'm talking to uh, the guy behind the scenes of it all, Mr. Johnny Leftwich, and I'm really excited to to get started today because we have a little bit of a different dynamic than like literally every other guest on the show because Johnny is always the one who's helping me 
make sure everything runs smoothly, make sure everything's edited and like helping me stay on task so the interviews don't run unbearably long any longer than they already do. So first of all, Sir Johnny, thank you so much for, for helping me do this podcast. And second of all, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. Uh, yeah. Like you said, I'm the guy lurking in the shadows when we record, but I mean, it'd be nothing without you. So thank you too. No. <laughs> Right on. That's nice to hear. Yeah, I just had this idea for the show where we can, me and other creative people can just gush about the our favorite music. And I ch- specifically chose music to talk about because that's the language that I speak. That's the creative language that I, I jive with the best. And But I realized that I wasn't necessarily just interested in musicians' opinions of music because what I really want to dig at is the heart of the art And to do that, I feel just creative people in general would be more interesting to talk to just because there's a lot of different perspectives and like Nova discovering My Chemical Romance through comics and things like that. So yeah, if you want to just jump in and and tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, like how you are a creative person and just some of the stuff you've done and been involved in. Sure. Yeah. Well, I am a musician, though not professionally, not in the way that most of the people that are on the show are. I played, I started music when I was in fifth grade. I played upright bass in the band because, or not in the band, but in strings, which I guess is still a band, but in school they call band like brass and all that stuff. That's Um, wild. I started on the cello. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I because I, I had an, an interest in music and and strings was really the only option at school at that time, and so being I mean I'm six seven obviously I wasn't six <laughs> seven in fifth grade but I was still like the biggest kid so they were like okay you get the biggest instrument and then that kind of followed me into sixth through ninth grade when I was in band and I played tuba and so yeah and I, I was it, it's something like I totally get what you mean when you say that music is your language because yeah it was mine too i could just i was really good at tuba i could just do it like of course i had to learn everybody has to learn whatever they're doing but once i got it i i was able to forget it pretty quickly and and just feel it and and i did really well at a lot of state school competitions on like cold reading and stuff and i was in the state band i got second chair one year and first chair the other so yeah, pretty cool. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so I've always had an interest in music. My my dad definitely brought me up, just submerged in his music. A lot of Beatles and Stones and classic stuff like that. And and yeah, so then when I was in seventh grade, sixth seventh grade, I got my first bass and started playing bass at that time. And again, really took to it and. It never really had like a plan for life of I'm going to be this or I'm going to do that. But I just assumed I would be a rock star. You know, like I figured I mm-hmm. felt that felt natural. Of course. Unfortunately, there's a lot of work that goes into that, which I didn't uh, realize was part of it. But uh, but yeah, so so I went into special makeup effects as a career path to where I thought, OK, well, here's something I like doing that I can do and there seems to be a career path for it. And, and yeah, so I pursued makeup effects and 
I really liked movies and horror movies specifically, and I figured I could have fun doing that stuff. And and I did for a while, and and then I realized that again, probably even more so than the rock star thing, there's a lot of work involved, and there's a lot of stiff competition, and it's you're either just one of those like touched by God artists who is just fucking incredible, and you're either that. Or you're the one who works like from sunup to sundown every single day at your craft and get so good that nobody can touch you. And I wasn't the first one and I wasn't really interested in being the second one. So I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to diverge here and and see what else I can do. And I I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I really like podcasting. I like the element of being able to do something as well as the professionals, if you know what you're doing with very little equipment or skill or anything. And so (laughs) that's how I founded Gormandizer Podcast. And here we are. Dude, I I, I know what you were saying with that, but it just kind of made me laugh because it's like, hey, do you want to like maybe do something cool and productive and potentially lucrative without trying at all? (laughs) That's the best possible explanation of it. And yes, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the dream right just get enough just have enough to get by and do what you want to do yeah i think that's that's the dream yeah and if i can do that for myself while helping other artists and creative people do what they want to do then you know all the better yeah yeah and uh, whenever you reached out to me to do the fanatomy thing i was like okay well i was already thinking about doing this in my bedroom just with a little app on my phone called anchor and yeah and that would have been fine it would have been way less production quality than i wanted it to be the plan was to just call people over zoom and like record audio on my phone at the same time have them record their own audio and mix it together in a daw but like i don't know honestly i'm really just super glad that this worked out the way that it has because i have zero patience for any shit like that unless it's like music related i have no patience for editing um yeah (laughs) at all so i'm glad that you do well yeah honestly i don't really but i will do it you know what i mean teamwork makes the dream work (laughs) yeah exactly i mean like with makeup effects for one thing i realized that it wasn't what i thought it was when i went into it i wanted to just be the guy who did the makeup or the effect or whatever on set and then took it off and then that was it that was like that's the job what is the job what's everything else around the job Well, the job is you have to be very good at a lot of different aspects of art. So you have to be a really good sculptor. You have to be a really good mold maker. You have to be a good painter, a good fabricator. You have to be good with an airbrush. You have to know how to work with silicone. You need to be good at (laughs) applying appliances, working with foam and all kinds of things. And it's really fun and and cool if you can get it down. To my point, I didn't even realize that sculpting was part of it when I went into it. And sculpting is a huge part of it. And I really enjoy having sculpted something cool. And I really enjoy having painted something cool or having made something cool. But the process of it, Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, is like therapeutic. And, oh, I like doing art. I hate doing art because it's like art just taunts me and I have to grind my teeth and fight it to the very end. And then I can have something that I can be proud of and look at and go, okay, that's cool. And I'm happy with it. But the process is just painful. Well, I think, and that's like kind of a, a universally 
It's a universal creative theme is, and not to pick on you or anything, but you mentioned these two types of creatives in the SFX world. And you're talking about the ones that are just touched by God and naturally good at things and the ones that have to work really hard. And I don't, I think that's a false dichotomy. I think like in general, there are the people who work really hard all the time, but also have the added extra talent and natural flair for it. But uh-huh. then there are also the people who like have no spark to begin with, but then have to work really hard. And then they eventually get somewhere where it's maybe not the most technically proficient thing, but it's their own and it feels good. Right. Yeah. I maybe mean, I'm that, full that, of shit. No, I think you're right. And I think that that's what I mean, really. And that's not to say that that the people who are naturally very talented don't work hard. It's just like anything else, you know, you're born a certain way and then you have to play with the hand you're dealt. And so I I don't think I'm like a bad artist. I think I'm pretty decent, but I also have enough awareness to look around me and go, oh, there's people way better than me trying much harder. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll just let them have it. I'll do my own thing. And that kind of opens the door for doing art because you want to do art and just kind of any prospects of having it be a career, like it can still happen, but it's less important to you if you're just doing it because you want to do it. Yeah. Sometimes that can help you be just that much more free. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing is that sometimes the more you care about how good something is, the worse it's going to be. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're trying so hard and that's often is going to be translated into your work. Whereas if you can just relax and be like, all right, here's the thing I'm doing, then it sometimes turns out better for you as an artist, having not pulled your hair out and better as a result, having not imbued your work with the stress of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I've heard a couple different artists articulate, but one in particular was Jim Adkins from Jimmy at World. He like was talking in... I think an interview, he he did his own like podcast series and it was really cool. I don't think he, I'm not sure yeah. if he's going to do any more, but past through frequencies. Past through frequencies, yep. Yeah. It's yeah. a great series and I really loved listening to it, but he was talking about how, and he's talked about this before, but just how the middle came to him and it was just so easy to write and he wrote it like really quickly and it was a joke and they almost didn't put it on Bleed American, but... Mark Trombino did a bunch of stuff to it and made it sound like a new wave song and that renewed interest in it. And they ended up coming back to it and making it cool and putting it on the record. But the point of what he was saying was like, it's so frustrating when you spend so much time on something and it doesn't do nearly as well as something you spent 20 minutes on. <laughs> and yes. uh, that's the thing, like once to, re- to relate just general creativity to songwriting, it's once you release the art to the world, it's the world's to have and to pick apart and decipher and all that stuff and appreciate. But like, yeah. it's wild because we want to think that more effort equals better quality. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we get lost in the amount of effort and time and sweat that we're putting into something that we lose the plot that we decide that this is the way to go when we don't really have any evidence to that it's we're just grinding at some almost unattainable goal through this thing that's just demanding more and more of us but we gotta just think for a second if it's necessarily worth going as far as we want to go and digging for something 
as much as it's not necessarily that like more effort equals bad art because it's totally not true. No. And any kind of songwriting, any kind of creative skill, sculpting, painting, drawing, it all requires practice and work. But that doesn't mean that the the amount of that the amount of effort that you spend doing something isn't necessarily equal to the quality of the end result. Absolutely. Yeah, you can like whip something up in five minutes and it can be incredible and unparalleled in whatever it is. And you can spend 20 years working on a thing that never comes together the way you mm-hmm. want it to. And that, that's another lesson that I had to learn specifically in, in painting and everything else. But in painting, it was just the, the most concrete because it's just this one thing. It's right in front of you. It's on a board. And then at the end, you seal it with this crystal clear stuff. And then that's the end. But before you do that, you can you can paint, again, five minutes, 20 years. You can have this thing in your house that is never finished and you work on it an hour a day. But, so is it better to have this one thing that you're determined will be perfect and it never is even finished? Or is it better to have, like, in the time that you spent doing that, you could have made a thousand pretty cool things. So, yeah. you know... Which, which is better. I, I think it's the second one, although my instinct is to make that first thing perfect and never give up on it until it's perfect. But if I do that, I'm missing out on all the other cool stuff I could be doing. Yeah, and a way to, to visualize that sort of conflict is, let's say your, your creative project is something that you hold very dear to yourself. And... It, you want to hold it close, you want to protect it, you want to make it beautiful and perfect, but there is a possibility of you loving it to death and Mm -hmm. squeezing it to death and sucking the life out of it. And it's no longer the thing that it originally was in your imagination. It's just like this labor that no longer has the love. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just labor. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a labor of love. It's a labor of anguish. Yeah. A labor of sort of this masochistic need to make the thing better, regardless of if it's even worth pursuing anymore. There's that's the sort of the point of the phrase, kill your darlings, right? All of us as creatives have these things that we just are so fucking precious about. Kill it, murder it. Because that if you are stuck on something that is incredibly important to you, but it's not coming out the right way. You just need to kill it for now. You can come back to it later. You can start from scratch and and figure something else out for it. But right now is not the time for it. And it just needs to show up whenever it shows up. Not to say that you shouldn't work on the things that you want to make, but if you're working more than you're getting joy out of it, then it's time to do something else. Exactly. Yeah. And and when you have this thing that you've been working on staring at you, guilting you about all that, it's hard to make that decision of no, uh, I'm done with this and actually be at, at peace with that and not just be like, carry that anguish away from it. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. r- like really separate yourself from it and be like, all right, this is fine. I'm doing this now. But that's the only way that you can progress beyond something where you've painted yourself into a corner and you feel trapped by right. what you tried to create just keep in mind that there's plenty of time to create other stuff that you could just be wasting chipping away at that one thing yeah yeah and it's whenever you 
whenever you decide that you're going to open yourself up to new creative things happening, that's when they happen. If you decide to shut everything else out because you're focused entirely on this, then, you know, like you're going to micro focus on it and you're just going to give yourself a headache. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so back to our relationship, I saw you make a post about, Hey, I'm just getting my podcast started. And then I was like, <laughs> hey so tell me about this podcast because yeah it, it's right up the alley of things that i want to do like i said i want to help i want to help artists so having been an artist and still being an artist you never really stop but i understand what it's like to struggle as an artist and i want to help other artists make the project they want to make and facilitate that and i'm really glad that you didn't go with anchor because <laughs> Anch anchor is it's great if you want to just have a little, hey, five minutes of me talking every day and whatever. But if it's a show that you really want to facilitate and grow and make it be its own thing, Anchor is not great because Anchor is owned by Spotify. And in the terms of service, they basically own everything. Um, oh, fuck that. Yeah. And technically, I own this show. Not I, but Gormandizer. I own Gormandizer. Gormandizer owns this show. We have a relationship where we talk about that and it's a human and a human talking. And with Anchor, it's they're this huge conglomeration and they're not really going to give a shit about you. You know what I mean? One, one very cool thing that I will say about Anchor is that because they're owned by Spotify, for example, we can't use music in our shows that's right. copyrighted. But with Anchor, you can use any song on Spotify. And just throw mm -hmm. it into your show because Spotify is, yeah, we own the rights. Go for it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's this weird, there's a lot of legal stuff where I own the copyright to this. You can use that. I give you permission if you're on my platform, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, Gormandizer will grow to the point where I can just reach out to a record label and be like, hey, uh, we want to use your songs. And they can be like, sure. You know what I mean? But till then, we, we got we to blast this episode out and get like, 20 million subscribers to <laughs> yes the show <laughs> yeah totally that's that's the goal right <laughs> yeah become a huge con conglomeration yeah just become a giant mega corporation yep so gormandizer tell me a little bit about like where you came up with the idea of the name gormandizer what you want to do with gormandizer what do you, what gormandizer even is any plans like what's what is Gormandizer? Dive into Gormandizer. Well, Gormandizer is my podcast network. I'll just call it that. It's, it's by definition not a network at this point, but that's the goal, <laughs> is, is to have a bunch of shows that are promoting each other and helping each other in the same vein. And so right now, I guess Gormandizer is more of a podcast production company. But the goal is to be both and to eventually start hiring out people to do a little bit of all of the stuff that I'm doing now and uh, and grow it that way and get more shows and all that stuff. So in that way, it would function um, much like a TV network where they have, I don't know what shows are on what networks, but let's say NBC, they have show number one and show number two and show number three. And then each one of those shows has their viewers. And then the network can reach out to advertisers and say, hey, would you like to advertise during our airtime? And what is that worth 
to you. And that's the main way that networks make money. And so I would like to be able to advertise for things that people who listen to our shows would actually be interested in and things that I would approve of and all that stuff. And so, yeah, be able to help everybody while keeping it all cool and not shitty would be <laughs> my goal. And uh, and so the name Gormandizer comes from, so CBGB in New York was the epicenter of the punk movement. And right. it became that because Hilly Crystal, the founder of CBGB, founded it because he wanted it to be a country bluegrass and blues bar. That's what CBGB stands for. And nobody was going there. There were like two bikers drinking beer. Like nobody was playing there. It was just empty. And the punk thing started to happen and nobody wanted the punks playing at their clubs. So the punks found CBGB and they were like, hey, nobody's playing here. Can we play here? And he was like, sure, fine. And so so then the since the punks had a place to play, they told their friends and it just snowballed into this thing that was happening there. And the guy, Hilly Crystal, who founded CBGB, really embraced it and was like, okay, this isn't what I wanted, what I set out to do, but this is something that's cool. And so knowing that country bluegrass and blues was not happening there, he later put the words, or I'm sorry, the letters OMFUG underneath CBGB. And that stands for, so it stands for country bluegrass and blues and other music for uplifting gourmandizers. So a gourmandizer is like a glutton, like a consumer of things. But in that sense, it means a rabid music fan or in this case, podcast fan. Whatever you are passionate about consuming, you are a gourmandizer of that thing. And so I thought it would be a cool kind of nod to the whole punk movement and like the DIY thing and that stuff to, to call the network gourmandizer. And here we are. So do you think that it was like, uplifting gourmandizers like we want to lift gourmandizers up or this is music for people who are uplifting gourmandizers <laughs> so i think uplifting is an adjective in that sense well or i don't know i've never thought about it that way but it could be yeah uplifting could be a verb in yeah, that sentence I don't, know. I don't know but he's also i think he's also on record as saying it's undernourished gourmandizers so he flip-flopped on what it actually stood for but if it's so if it is undernourished gourmandizers, then that's an adjective. And if he's sticking with that yeah. structure, then he would also be using uplifting as an adjective. I don't know, but I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's fun to think about. It's kind of cool because it's both. Because it's for undernourished gourmandizers, it makes it sound like for rabid music fans, yeah. this music is for the people who can't get enough music and just want to see real people on the street making music. And then the other one that's like for uplifting gourmandizers, it's, well, this is for, this is, the purpose of this place is to uplift these gourmandizers and accept and glorify the nature of being really fucking into music made yes. by whoever doing whatever. Yeah, and that 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 is really the the core of the gourmandizer philosophy to me. Yeah, it's I think as humans we tend to hear things that we understand and relate them to ourselves and I think it's a sort of a character flaw at times whenever we like hear someone talk about an experience and want to bring up a relevant one of our own. 
because <laughs> it comes off as trying to make the situation about you, but it, it's really not like that. But no, it's about the, relating. So the thing with the word gormandizer, it just it come it brings to mind this rabid consumption of music that Hilly Crystal was trying to create at CBGB. And it goes along with this attitude that I've always had of not really caring what the music sounds like. Like, I I try to appreciate music. I try to appreciate music that sounds like any number of things. But the main point is that I'm digging for something that it's trying to say. What... Where are you trying to go with this? What are you trying to say with it? Is the point that you're not trying to say anything at all and you're just trying to make some noise? Right. Or basically, like, I dig for the honesty in something. And, like, yes. whenever whenever I hear the word gormandizer and it evokes this, like, image of being rabidly consuming music, it, it, it just it makes me feel very happy because there's this part of me that always just wants to connect with other people's hearts. And that's what I think the attitude of a lot of punk rock is. I want to hear what you have to say from your gut. And if like punk was about, and I think punk can be like a whole podcast. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Everything wrapped up in, in that and what it means. But I always considered punk to mean like, radical honesty and doing what you want to do the way you want to do it and not apologizing for it and allowing everyone else to do the same without and you can make your judgments to yourself in your mind but challenge yourself not to challenge yourself not to form conceptions about somebody preconceived notions about somebody based on like shit that you don't even know about them just accept their art for what it is and try to dig for the honesty in it my main thing is when I hear the word gormandizer, I think of this philosophy that I've always believed in, which is if it's got something to say, I want to hear it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's got like some big grand narrative or if the message is something like, fuck a narrative. I'm just doing this to do this. I That's the shit that I find interesting. And so just the word gormandizer, we've said that word so many times on this podcast. <laughs> gormandizer, gormandizer, gormandizer. Yeah, there you go. That's the network, everyone. I, I get this, this, it evokes this imagery of, I am so very curious about everyone around me and I want to hear everyone's thoughts on everything, especially like in a creative sense about creative things. Yeah. Yeah, I think that in in terms of the, the like the first wave of punk as we know it, and that's a, again a whole other discussion. That's a huge debate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but when you think of like punk, the scene and the bands that come to mind are like Ramones, Sex Pistols, and then everything that followed. But there was a whole lead up to that too. But when you think about like punk attitude of "fuck you," I'm saying what I'm saying, and like mm-hmm. it or leave it. I think that the whole punk, what's the word? <sighs> It's another word for attitude, mythos, ethos, pathos. I get them all mixed up, but the philosophy, the punk philosophy of like fucking Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The basically the punk philosophy of no, like the whole no future thing. We're just going to be whatever we're going to be. And the whole fuck authority, fuck fame, fuck celebrity, but also becoming famous and celebrities through saying and doing those things. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. And and I think the, the whole thing of like, just believing what you believe and shouting it from the mountaintops and saying fuck everything else is cool but there's also in that there's a lot of closed-mindedness and small-mindedness where people mm-hmm. don't they just aren't hearing anything else and uh, and I think that the punk movement was and I guess is well okay 
even if we're just talking, even if we're saying, okay, punk is dead, we can still say <laughs> the punk movement is still important because of how influential it was and continues to be. But at the same time, a lot of those punks ended up like dead in gutters. So it's, it's a thing of, yes, thank you for that. But also do we want to be that? And can we be some version of that doesn't end up stabbed in an alley? You know what I mean? I think that's the way to go. There's yeah, and if you spent five seconds in any like punk group on Facebook, you'll run into that old head with the Liberty Spikes and who's stuck in 1982, and he's like, you know remember when punk shows were dangerous and you had to be afraid to go to a punk show that you were gonna get fucked up and stabbed, and I'm like yeah, it sounds like a real great experience, dude. I'm <laughs> yeah. so sad that we moved on from that, and right. I think the spirit of punk is definitely also just really aligned with the spirit of rock and roll in general. I think yeah. punk and, and rock and roll are very loosely, very loose terms that sort of basically mean the same thing, in my opinion. And I think that th the philosophy of what you're doing, like your approach is more punk rock than the music. I, I never considered punk to be a style of music. Right. Because to me bands that have been around for a long time doing the same thing over and over again aren't punk that's just that's just classic rock that's just dad rock yeah, yeah that's yacht rock for the new generation right uh yeah <laughs> and a, a perfect example of that is that blondie and talking heads were like front and center in, in the initial punk movement and they're not punk like musically so it, it started as like punk really was this movement of do whatever you want, be what, be whatever you're going to be that is outside mm -hmm. the norm. And then right. it congealed and coalesced into this, okay, well, here's what punk is. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. people started considering it more of a genre than a movement. And I think that's also where a lot of the kind of closed mindedness happened. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that it's devolved into this sort of thing because uh, you got people like Johnny Rotten, who like wear Make America Great Again hats and shirts uh, and shit. And the, there's a whole subsection of the punk community, and I say community very loosely, that thinks that punk is being a dick to people and like punching right. down and like just being a fucking asshole and claiming that you don't give a shit what anybody thinks. And the thing is, those people give the most shit about what people think about them because they're constantly trying to reinforce this this image of being a really tough person. But really what it is like, that guy needs to go to therapy. Like that, yeah. that person <laughs> needs to fucking work on their shit. Yes. And my, my partner, Nova, and I talk about this a lot because they look fucking cool all the time. They mm -hmm. look what is considered to be like punk, emo, goth, whatever. Mm -hmm. They just wear what they wear and they look awesome. But we talk about the aesthetic of punk and it's sort of bullshit. Like the whole thing is bullshit. Yeah. And wearing clothes with like studs and spikes on them is cool. And if you want to do that, then that's cool. But if you're doing it because you feel like you have to because that's what punk is, you're missing the point. And not to hate on people for what they wear, I think like people who constantly bag on quote-unquote fashion punks 
I think that's equally boring. People right. who are like, it's about what you do, not about what you look like. Like, it is about what you do and not what you look like, and that's the point. But you don't need to tear down the fashion kids because they want to wear mohawks and leather and spikes and cover themselves in patches and, and marks and stitches and stuff. Like, that's cool. It looks rad. It's just, that doesn't make you punk. That... That appearance, that interest in X, Y, and Z band, like you don't have to like this band or that band or dislike this band or that band to be punk. In my right. opinion, the, that movie SLC Punk, right? The most punk rock character in the, the entire girl. movie. Uh, let me do my thing. Okay, okay. okay. I think... In my opinion, the most punk rock character in that entire movie is Mike, Jason Siegel's character. Because uh, okay. he really fucking loves the rainforest and god damn it, somebody's gotta fight for them. Yeah. And he yeah, has yeah. a thing that he loves and believes in, and he doesn't feel the need to dress like everyone else because he's Mike and that's enough. He's yeah. Mike and he looks the way he looks and that's totally fine. And he's accepted by all of his friends because they know that it's not about what you look like, it's about who you are and how you treat people and you know what you do. But I, I always thought that the most punk rock people in these sort of scenes is like the people that don't necessarily, not that dressing in any certain way is bad or stupid or anything, but the people who specifically understand that like people look in different ways and that doesn't make someone punk or not punk or cool or uncool or whatever. We're just all hanging out on the same weird rock trying to make sense of it all and accepting people and accepting yourself and being kind and gentle to the other people around you is the most punk rock shit you can do, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I think that they're, they're... I understand why quote-unquote real punks have like issues with quote-unquote posers or whatever but mm -hmm. i totally don't agree with it because on, on one hand it's like if you think about so so the real punk quote-unquote their view of like why they are dressing the way they're dressing and acting the way they're acting is to piss off the establishment right right so if they see somebody wearing a leather jacket with spikes on it with a big blue mohawk or whatever, but, and then they want to quiz them on, well, what bands do you like and how much do you know about them and blah, blah, blah. If, if you're trying to ask them how much they know in order to confirm whether or not they're punk, then just by them being at that point, are they not viewed by the establishment that you're trying to piss off the same way that you are? Like the establishment sees both of you the same. So mm -hmm. they're looking at both of you and going, oh, those are punks. And so isn't that the goal? So it's all ridiculous to, to gatekeep and try to prove like I'm cool and you're not and blah, blah, blah. Like how about everybody just shut the fuck up and enjoy the music you want to listen to and mm -hmm. just be cool. So yeah, yeah Gormandizer is definitely anti-anti-poser. <laughs> that's so funny that, that's such a a cool point to make too because it's just what is what is a poser even i almost think that identifying intentionally as a poser makes you punk rock Cause, right because like i if if not liking rancid makes me a poser then like jesus christ i'm the biggest fucking poser <laughs> yeah if fine. you want to be gross if you want to be grossed out google tim armstrong brody doll relationship yeah yeah <laughs> and that's what i mean is like, there's a lot of really problematic shit 
in the punk world. And I don't know, I think that anybody who is really just clinging on to a label is the one who needs to reassess what they're doing. Yeah, you define punk. Punk shouldn't define you. Yeah. Like, it's not... Yeah, there's so many subcultures and subgenres of punk that I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm so grateful that it exists, but I think that it's often misinterpreted to be punk rock bowling. As much as I love the bands that play on punk rock bowling, it's and I think that they are really good about trying to find different sounding bands that have the same attitude but don't necessarily want to do the same thing i think that's pretty cool but at the same time there's a lot of headliners like i went to scallywag a couple years ago and it was a great show i had a good time there was like let's see there was uh pennywise and rancid and fuck who else played that my memory is slipping because thanks weed no effects Um, no effects was at no, that was a different show. That was the Punk and Drublick show at Red Rocks, which I also oh. did go to. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, you got your bands that like have their sound and that's cool and everything, but you don't necessarily have to sound like the bands on Fat Records to to be punk. I think right. intentionally doing things that don't sound like the same stuff over and over is pretty punk. Not to hate on any fat bands because like I do like a lot of the bands that have been on that label. Sure. It's just it's more about it's more about what you're trying to say and where you're trying to go, what you're trying to do, what's important to you than like what it sounds like. And I think that uh, I think we've made this point thoroughly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I could keep making it all day though. Do what you want, as long as it's not hurting anybody, fuck everything else. Right. For sure. We can put it Well, to- now that we've got Gormandizer out of the way, I wanted to ask you specifically about why we're here, what we're here to talk about, the uh-huh. artist that ha, has inspired you to want to do a whole episode on the, on this show. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Norma Jean, Redeemer, specifically the album Redeemer by Norma Jean is one of my top favorite albums. And it's interesting to me that is so high up there because I honestly, I don't listen to a whole lot of music in that genre. Like I don't listen to a ton of like heavy, crazy, chaotic music, but also to me, there aren't really any bands that are like Norma Jean. You can say, okay, there's dissonant chords and there's weird time signatures and there's harsh vocals. And yeah, you can say, okay, all that stuff is like Norma Jean, but I don't hear any other band and think this is Norma Jean. For example, I just listened to uh, Redeemer in its entirety today to refresh, come to the conversation fresh with that in my head, as I know you did too. And, uh, and at the end, uh, I was listening to it on Apple Music and I, once it ended, I just was like, okay, that's the end. And then it started playing something next uh, that was what it thought I wanted to hear. And I was like, what is this? Turn it off. Because that's not, that's, that can't follow Norma Jean. What was it? It was, uh, it was Oh Sleeper, I think. Oh, okay. And that's not to talk shit about Oh Sleeper. It's just, that's not what I'm here for, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> But yeah, it's like whenever it's like whenever I'm listening to Jimmy World on Spotify and then the next song is Fall Out Boy. Like it's not worlds <laughs> apart. Right. Right. But yeah, Norma Jean, so they have always been So the first album I got into them on was Oh God the Aftermath. And that was 
it would have been 2005 or six that I started getting into them. And that was when I, I would have been 18 or 19 at the time. And I, I was just out of high school and I'm like trying to expand my musical knowledge. And I, I really wasn't into any heavy bands like that at the time. But I was like, all right, I'm going to intentionally open my mind to this. And, uh, and Norma Jean was just one of the, like, probably the first band that slipped in and stuck in a way that I was interested in. And I was like, oh, this is crazy and weird, and I like it. And, and so I liked Oh God, The Aftermath, but it's a very challenging album. As most people would probably say Redeemer is very challenging. But when I listen to Redeemer, as opposed to Oh God, The Aftermath, I appreciate them both a lot in very different ways. And Redeemer, just like on the episode with Aaron Say, where he was talking about Sing the Sorrow by AFI, yeah. He was saying that they had just the right amount of production, but they still sounded very genuine. And it sounds like the truth, which is something we we already touched on in this Mm -hmm. episode. That And that is actually another one of my favorite albums, Sing the Sorrow by AFI. And it's for that reason. It's It hits that mark of having the right amount of production where it feels and sounds like the artist is still maintaining complete control and they have the tools that they need to make what they want. And it's yes. just it just really hits that mark for me. The optimum like studio label artist relationship. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so Redeemer as opposed to Oh God the Aftermath, it it's a Redeemer is not a radio album by any means like it's not right. gonna get <laughs> radio play it's a hardcore record it, yeah yeah it it's hard and it's heavy but it's also like sad and melancholic and challenging in a lot of ways and the lyrics are extremely like this i think perfect combination of like direct and to the point and like extremely enigmatic and mysterious and i think that's what great poetry is so Real talk for a second. I it took me a long time to like Norma Jean. Yeah, and I was not an immediate fan because so I spent most of my teenage years a cringy elitist metalhead. Uh-huh. And as some teenagers do, you know, you have your stuff that you like, and everything else sucks. And sure, like, yeah. Especially when you're a, gu- a guitar player and especially like a, a metal guitar player, you enter one of a couple of schools. You have the neoclassical shred stuff, which is basically I practice guitar for 16 hours a day and what is a social life? And then, but now, hey, the neoclassical progressive shreds. Well, no, the neoclassical stuff is still pretty geeky. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but like Prague has really come into the foreground because of bands like periphery and stuff and as they, leaders yeah animals as leaders polyphia things like that between the buried and me uh fuck, what was that other one? Oh, the contortionist i love the contortionist the, those bands are a different thing than what i'm referring to because the neoclassical stuff from the mid-2000s was like symphony x and it was very okay. dorky yeah <laughs> very <laughs> european too but yeah if i would my, my favorite bands my teenage years were like children of bodum and trivia and they were just very like serious bands with like 
technical metal guitar solos. And so I found punk rock and hardcore through going to shows because like I realized that being a metal guitar player, I I was wondering why nobody cared about our band. And it was because like the stuff I was writing was so complicated that I was just standing there and I was very boring to watch. Uh. And I learned that through going to shows and seeing these awesome metalcore bands and I would ask them what stuff they were into and nine times out of out of ten they would say The Chariot or Norma Jean mm-hmm. and there were these bands that I would play with in a shack in a, a nowhere town called Sullivan, Missouri and it was like where all the regional small town bands would get together and play in this like shack and we would we were all into bands like norma jean and the chariot and at the drive-in and and these post-hardcore sort of cerebral bands that were also like it was less black flag and more it was like less mindless neanderthal clubbing people over the head music and more like mindful neanderthal clubbing people over the head music crafting a spear yeah yeah crafting a spear that's exactly (laughs) that's exactly right and uh, so it took me a while to appreciate norma jean because i was in the metal school where we play guitar in a specific way and there are very rigid rules and you must not break them or the metal goons will be sicked upon you right and like I discovered that hardcore was a thing, which led me to the concept of punk rock in general, which like led me to expand everything that I wanted to do and thought I could do and could do. But yeah, Norma Jean was one of those bands that like I didn't like for years. And then there was a little band that I heard for the first time in summer 2014 called 68. Mm-hmm. And I listened to, I saw the video for track one R and it was just this glitchy thing with this two piece band. And it was, I loved Josh's voice and all the different wild guitar tones and like the glitchiness of the video and just how weird and out there it was, but also just so heavy and so just wild and primal. And, and so I was like, damn, I wonder if this dude has been in any, any other bands. And I looked up 68 and I found Josh's other bands. He was in a band called the chariot. And then before mm-hmm. that, he started a band called Norma Jean. Yep. And I was like, I'll be damned. I'll yeah. be fucking damned. And that was how I learned to appreciate that because at the time, Every band was trying to sound like Norma Jean or As I Lay Dying or just any of the any of those bands that had like dissonant chords and chunky breakdowns and thought out lyrics that weren't right. just we're going to get fucked up. <laughs> it wasn't Hatebreed. It wasn't Madball. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, like, and that's the thing about Norma Jean is that well, that's one of the many things about Norma Jean is that you can I, I can tell even though. Well, OK, first of all, one thing that really fascinates me about the vocal style in particular is that it's not like a performative growl or like a squeal or anything like that. It's like, yeah, it's not the cookie monster thing. No, he just sounds like he's yelling really fucking loud. So it's like that. I think in particular lends to the feeling of like veracity. Like I, like it, it hits me as truth because he's not, and I could be wrong about this. I'm actually, I am wrong because uh, it's something that you do have to figure out how to do in order to not just destroy your throat every night if you're going on tour with that. And that blows my mind. I don't know how he does it. But but it sounds 
real. And it sounds like regardless of what they're saying, it sounds like the truth. And I think that when you go through and read the lyrics, it's, oh, wow, that's not, that's not just some shit that you're like, uh, what rhymes with blue? You know what I mean? That's because a lot of it doesn't even rhyme at all. It's just Mm -hmm. like, here's some interesting, crazy, enigmatic, but also very truthful stuff that, that we're going to put to this music. And then the music is, it's very, and speaking of on uh, Redeemer in particular, and this holds true for most of their music, but it's like Redeemer starts out with just this crazy cacophony of guitars and drums and just, and yelling and like just nonsense, but still in a very composed way. And then it, it goes, boom, and just, it's okay, there's all this craziness, and then it all comes down into one thing, and to me, that kind of feels like you're witnessing, like, a, an infected zombie or something, just <laughs> wiling out, and then he, like, turns and looks at you. So it's like, their music just does this thing where it makes me feel like they are pushing me through a story, and that that story is nonfiction, you know what I mean? But in a dramatic fictionalized world, it's really interesting. And I like it a lot, obviously. Yeah. So another thing wrapped up in bands like Norma Jean was there was this whole scene in the early to mid 2000s that was, oh God, this is a whole can of worms, but we got to open it because we're talking about Norma Jean. Christian hardcore. Yes. Yeah. It was a whole ass thing. And there were all those bands that didn't necessarily want to identify as Christian hardcore bands, but there were the thing about Christian music is it has all the money. And mm-hmm. like a lot of bands just wanted to tour and gain a fan base and a following and do the thing and live the dream. And there were all these labels that had fuck tons of money because they're funded by churches. And so there were a ton of bands under oath being a huge one at the time. And like under oath has since come back and redefined themselves as a band. And they're just like, look, we were shoehorned into this. We wanted to just be a band. And we felt the need to do the Christian hardcore thing band, hardcore band thing, because that was what was, that was what people were doing at the time. And Mm -hmm. that was how, that was our ticket. That was our ticket to making the art we wanted to make. And if you listen to those records, they barely ever talk about spirituality and they don't talk about Christianity at all. Norma Jean, uh, you mean? No, I was talking about Under Earth for a second. Oh, okay. Like Norma Jean... And what's fascinating about Norma Jean and Josh Scogan in particular, because I, I feel like, uh, what's his name? Corey? Corey Brandon yeah. Putman. But I think he just right. goes by Corey Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. So he was brought in after Josh to build upon that foundation that like mm-hmm. Josh had built. And the idea behind that band was it didn't really, it doesn't feel like they're proselytizing to me. It just feels like a guy, if anything, Josh Scogan and... Norma Jean and the Chariot and 68, it's all a product of a man who is a Christian loudly 
like throwing up his hands and asking God what the fuck and trying to make sense of everything. And that's way more relatable than like some of the other bands that we heard that were like, you need to trust in God yeah. or you will not be saved. Totally, and, like, totally. You know, th- it wasn't preachy like that. It was, not at all. And I've listened to a bunch of podcasts with Josh because I I'm bored and I used to have a factory job where I could listen to podcasts for literally eight hours a day and I did that every day. But that's awesome. He, I mean, was, at least the listening to podcasts part. <laughs> yeah, it was a factory job, so it wasn't great, but it was still like it was nice to be able to turn your brain off and just do a, a mindless task for eight hours sometimes. But yeah, I remember Josh talking about how he was always a person of faith and he grew up with faith but it was less about trying to show people how they should be and more like crying desperately to the lord asking how i should be and that's way more powerful than basically just being a fire and brimstone evangelical preacher with a hardcore band behind you yes absolutely and you're absolutely right that there was a whole thing like a whole big rash of christian metal core bands and i i saw several of them only because i've seen norma jean so many times and a lot of them would between songs they'd be like i just want to thank jesus for this opportunity to play in front of you tonight and blah 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 and doing that whole thing and that is just always a huge turnoff for me i'm not a christian i'm not religious i don't I, it's fine if anybody wants to do that, but the moment somebody starts talking like that to my face and just expecting me to agree with them or accept it, mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, boner killer. But so, but Norma Jean never did that. Like I have, like I said, I've seen Norma Jean a lot, and I I went to those shows knowing that technically they're a Christian band and I've talked about all of their lyrics and how great they are and nowhere in there is it like preachy or anything like that and between songs they never did that whole thing that I hate I always felt welcome at shows like that and I always felt these are people who believe what they believe and they're not trying to jam it down my throat and I love right. their music and that's awesome and uh, and yeah so as far as the whole religious aspect like I said I have no issue with anybody having their belief. I just have an issue when somebody tries to force it on me. And I never felt like Norma Jean was forcing anything on me. So true. So true. Like I never, if you had asked me at 16 years old, if you had told me at 16 years old that all of my favorite songwriters are Christians at 30, like fuck off. I would have told (laughs) you to go fuck yourself. I would have been like, no way, man. This band is the pinnacle of music. And it's just some cringy band. Not to discount that music is amazing. And those people are wonderful. And I I still listen to a lot of the music that I used to listen to because it's cool and it's impressive and I like it. But that was one of the bummer things. I think that was part of why I didn't want to associate with bands like Norma Jean or under oath at the time was because there was such this air of Christianity about it. And I had just seen the Da Vinci Code <laughs> and oh. my, when I posted about it, I was like, what if Jesus had a daughter? Cause like I was brought up Lutheran uh-huh. and a friend of mine was like, there's no evidence that any of that shit happened. It was written by like shepherd dudes in the desert. And I was like, really? Well, 
so my 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 mom lied to me what the fuck and like that you know and i went hardcore bullshit angry whiny atheist for years right and but i became like a sad agnostic had a pagan wiccan phase for a second that was how i figured out i was trans but that's another thing but i remember going to shows when I was a teenager, when the whole Christian rock thing was happening and or Christian hardcore, and the only local venue in my hometown where young bands could play that wasn't like somebody's house or something was a church. It was a church on Sundays, and it was a general youth center the rest of the time because there was like a paintball field in the back. There were like skate ramps in there, and there was a stage. There were there was like candy and soda and stuff, and it was a really cool place. I hope it still exists. I don't know what they're doing with it now, but but it was a cool venue aside from the preachiness of it because the problem was every time there was a show. <laughs> every time there was a show like in between bands the there would be like some youth pastor dude with the frosted tips and like that that god awful like bead chain necklace with the vans shoes or something that would be like hey guys who was really hardcore Jesus. Jesus. He was so hardcore that he let people crucify him so we could rock. And it was just the corniest oh, shit. And so I never <laughs> wanted to give Norma Jean or bands like them the time of day. And every everybody who brought them up to me, I was just like, no, go fuck yourself. This is Christian bullshit. I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. So finding 68 as a more well-adjusted adult and like going backwards... That was how I came to appreciate that stuff because there is, like you said, so much truth and so much honesty and so much frustration and realness in that stuff that I totally overlooked. All the great bands who just did their thing and did it loud all loved bands like Norma Jean and The Chariot. And I think that the fact that people like Josh Skogan who have their belief and have their faith and carry it with them and write about it in a way that doesn't tell you what to do. That's, that's beautiful and powerful. Yeah. And uh, trying to express yourself in a way that was influenced by your faith is an amazing and, and incredible thing. And uh, I'm really glad that I've been able to give that a, an honest chance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, going back to the lyrics and also just the feeling... That's another thing that I, I can say that I love about Norma Jean is that I can read the lyrics. I guess this is just a thought experiment because obviously I know the album. But if I were reading those lyrics and then I heard the music without the lyrics, I feel like they would match up. I, like, I mm -hmm. feel like they did a really good job of making this music and the lyrical content. It's not one of those like, horrible breakup songs it's like bum, 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 you know what i mean it's they they're really good at portraying the emotion that seems to be linked with and coming out of the lyrical content with their music and mm -hmm. the lyrical content is it's a lot of it is tortured and very questioning and confused and frustrated and that's stuff that i've experienced pretty heavily in my life and that album in particular and all pretty much all of their albums 
to a lesser extent, I think ending with wrongdoers have had their place in my life where they've done that for me. And I find that much more valuable when someone is saying, hey, this is fucked up. I find that way better than somebody saying it's fine. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And that's what I get. That's what I get from that. Kind yeah, of music. it's it's really hard to write happy songs about how everything is great. Like nobody writes in their. I guess you could if you're a unless person you're who journals every day or yeah, that's. <laughs> and we're not gonna lie, that song slaps. That's like, yeah. Unless you're a person who like journals every single day, it's like it's hard to pick up a pen and write about how great things are. Which makes songs like New Rose by The Damned that much more special because I feel like that was the kickstart of the emo and pop punk movement is here's this punk rock song about how I got a new girlfriend and I fucking love her and I'm happy. (laughs) And I think that's cool. That was one of the songs that Nova showed me when we started dating was like, hey, this song is with you about you. And it was really cute. That's cool. Uh, I've never thought about that. But yeah, that's an interesting perspective on that song. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I enjoy that. Norma Jean, though, that's like a whole thing. This this attitude that they had of just, we're, we're going to do whatever we want to do and make it really loud and be chaotic. Because I remember listening... Yeah, there's This phrase is going to be uttered on so many episodes, but I remember listening to a podcast mm. and hearing that whenever they started, they didn't know how to tune their guitars. They just like made them sound generally alike. And they just didn't know how to tune their guitars. And that's why everything they wrote at the very beginning was so crazy. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because they didn't know what, you know, and they discovered this thing called drop C and drop D. And they were like, okay, well, that makes sense, I guess. But it was like a a few years into their career or maybe like a few, a year or so into their career that somebody was like, what are you guys tuned to? And they were like, we don't know. Yeah. So just hearing that and just... I can only imagine what their first basement shows and stuff were like, because to not have any clue what you're doing is creative freedom to the max. If you don't have any parameters, you don't have any rules. You can do whatever you want, and it's just going to be an explosion of creative freedom. Well, I understand why that might... Why Certainly, I understand why that is an appealing legend, but I find it hard to believe, because... In my mind, there's no way that musicians who are doing such intricate, complicated things with their instruments don't know how to tune them. But I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. They may have just said, hey, fuck tuning, but let's do math core. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's possible. Well, he, he was saying that a lot of it was very rhythmic based. Yeah. So they were like, okay, well, we don't really know if we're playing a G sharp or an F or whatever, but we like this part where it's do 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 It was like that. And that's why the chords are so dissonant and weird on, on a lot of their super early shit. And that was the, a style that they mm-hmm. developed over time. And as they learned how to tune their guitars, they they were just able to have more control over where they wanted to go. Right. And I, I always thought that was neat because that whole you could argue that like bands like Botch and Dead Guy did that way before them, but with Norma Jean, it was just a bunch of kids with instruments making noise because they were frustrated teenagers and they wanted to yell about shit and fuck stuff up. Yeah. And the whole rhythmic syncopation math core thing. I, so generally I stray away from that just because I'm like, I don't want to figure this out. You know what I mean? Yeah. But with, I, 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 again, I don't know what it is. It's just something about Norma Jean. It hits me as truth 
And so it makes me more invested in into figuring it out. And mm -hmm. I, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I do have some training in music and I understand rhythms. And one thing, I'm not a huge fan of polyrhythms that you get a lot right. in like Gent and Prague and all the that stuff. But I get it. I get the appeal. But what I really do like is what Norma Jean does, which is to switch up the time signatures a lot and even tempo. And they'll do so instead of having it be like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, it'll be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five. And then within that, they're putting the emphasis on like the one, the four and the five, the one, the four and the five, the one and the three, the one and the three. And so that kind of is, is very pleasing to me because mm -hmm. my brain just really latches on to, oh, okay, I get what they're doing. They're like, I can deconstruct it. So it gives me this whole other level of appreciation for it where I can just tap my foot to it in a way that people tap their foot to a 4-4 song on the radio because I get it and I see where it's going. And I'm once I'm familiar with it, I can really go for that ride. Right. And I wanted to ask you, because just because of the specific things that we're talking about right now that we appreciate about Norma Jean, specifically you talking about how they play around with where the beat is and where the emphasis is and stuff like that. And they, it's not all about delicate, intricate time signatures as much as it's about just like switching it up and making it jarring. Another band that, do, that did that incredibly well um, especially on their last two records. Their last two records are my favorite records that they ever made. But I don't know if you listen to them, but the Dillinger Escape Plan did that same thing, but did it pretty well, too. The Dillinger Escape Plan, are they're one of those bands that I have been aware of them for many years. And I've heard people that I respect say they're very good. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and it's not for, it's not because I'm saying like, I don't like them and I'm not going to like them. It's just that <laughs> I just haven't, I just haven't gotten into them. But yeah, I've definitely heard that they are to be listened to for sure. They're one of those bands that like, they, so I, I remember an interview with Greg Pachado, their, their front dude, talking about the relationship we have, he has with Ben Wyman, their guitar player, and how they're diametrically opposed, and that's what makes their music so amazing is because they fucking hate each other most of the time. Like <laughs> Interesting. They were best friends, but at the same time, they fucking were just so different that they, they their conflict was what made the gnashing of teeth in their music so apparent because Ben was always just so pissed off and frustrated that he would play guitar like that but i mean right. that started before greg joined but they greg's vocals he was talking in that interview about how they're not a metal band they're a hardcore band they're a punk band like okay he, he didn't say hardcore band he was like we're not a metal band we're a punk band and that made me change the entire way that i looked at them because it's like i think of metal as like high output pickups on a guitar with lots of distortion and screamy vocals and uh, but greg was like no we're a punk band we just have like really loud guitars and we're good at our instruments but we have this punk rock attitude of we're just going to destroy everything and it, they were also really smart about it but greg their vocalist is a poet too like he makes poetry and like his lyricism is in, is incredible but he's also 
one of those vocalists that doesn't it's not the cookie monster thing it's not the performative stomp box distortion on your vocals thing <laughs> he is just that pissed and I right. always I always thought that was incredible because there are plenty of bands out there with like gritty vocals but his vocals like you could tell they just came from such anger and frustration mm-hmm. and they converge yeah, yeah, love Converge. And Dillinger, I think, was also influenced by Converge. All these bands influenced each other, really. But yeah. Dillinger, especially like their last two records, were when they realized, you know, they were, when they were making the record One of Us is the Killer, there was so much tension on that record. And there are so many beautiful, harmonious moments on that record, too. But they realized that they were like growing apart and they were going to need to break up soon because they were also getting a little bit older and what they do is very intense, but they, yeah, they realized on that record that they were going to end it soon. And then they went into their very last record dissociation, knowing that they were going to break up afterwards. And so it's just, it's very angry, but it's also just a very sad and moving record. And so just while we're talking about bands that come from a place of real gut emotion and just projected anger and also like this dissonant jarring guitar sound that's challenging but also really heavy and fun it's not jazz you know like jazz plays a part in the the thinking of some of this but it's very much it's not structured to be pretentious it's structured to be terrifying and jarring and weird and angular yeah and that again it's that touches on another thing that i appreciate about Norma Jean is that it is simultaneously guttural and visceral and primal and extremely high-minded and composed and intentional. So it's like this whole spectrum of emotion and logic and just like an unstoppable force that hits you at every conceivable mental level. So I was listening to Redeemer earlier and I realized that my phone was on shuffle, but I didn't realize it for a couple songs. Oh yeah. And yeah, so I heard the record in a little bit of a different order at the beginning, but I quickly changed course to the correct lineup, but I actually liked the order that I heard the first two songs in better when it was on shuffle. Do you remember Um, what they were? Yes. So it was the the opener song, Color Film. A grand scene for a color film. Yes. And and then right after that, it was followed by No Passenger, No Parasite. Yeah, that's the last track. Yeah. And I loved the just the juxtaposition of this intense, amazingly heavy, destructive hardcore song with this beautiful kind of like spacey thing right after it. But the fact that it's at the end of the record generally makes more sense for the record. But I was just like, okay, so they're this band that does this and this. Oh, that's cool. Honestly, you know what? I I think that the order that it's in is perfect. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I think you could just throw them up in the air and whatever order they land in, you could also make an argument for why that's perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but No Passenger, No Parasite, that's a good example. And fuck, at every point that I start to make, I'm like, well, but the whole album's like that. Like, the point that I was going to make about No Passenger, No Parasite is that's a great example of how they will go from 100 to 5 and then to 500. So on, on that song, there's a slow build, and then it comes to the point where you think it's going to, you know, explode, 
and then they take it way down Mm -hmm. and it's like this very quiet thing and then it explodes so they're giving you what you want while also subverting your expectations and that actually i had that part where it's like and he goes wake up uh, I had that wake up as my alarm on my phone for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, I don't want to ruin this song for myself. So I took it off. But but yeah, they'll take you on a whole journey. And I think that album is the perfect example of it. Yeah, it's a great record. I, I, I get in the last, like, not the song, not No Passenger, No Parasite, but the song right before it. You know what I'm talking about? Let me look that up real quick. <laughs> I'm going to edit this out to make myself sound very smart. <laughs> no, I'm not. Perfect. I'm leaving this all in. Uh, Redeemer. Norma Jean. All right. Cemetery Like a Stage. Yeah, yeah. So that song made me crack up a little bit because I was like, okay, this is a few albums into their career. This is the tour song. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sleeping on a floor and it sucks. And I was like, yeah, wait till you get a pandemic, man. <laughs> You'll miss wait, that floor. Wait, what do you mean? There was this one part where he's, I will sleep on a floor tonight. Oh, such weight. And it just oh. made me think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it made Ton- me think of. Yeah. Ton- tonight, I, just, I will sleep on the floor. Oh, such weight. Yeah, yeah. And just the rest of the lyrics to that song where he was just it feels like he's pissed off. It's it I loved that song in particular because it conveys the exact mood of a band that tours a lot and like how you're stuck in a van with four or five other personalities and you have to just deal with each other for months at a time. Okay. And, and just how there's so many unresolved feelings that generally don't get talked about because if, if you have to have a big argument on tour, it's going to make everything awkward for the rest of tour. So a lot of times people don't talk about shit and it builds up up and like it felt i felt the resentment in that song i like i felt the <laughs> like the exhaustion and the tiredness and the like yeah i scream into a microphone for 45 minutes every single night and goddamn, this is tiresome like i i got that okay and, uh, it's, that that song hit me as like the road dog song <laughs> that a lot of bands tend to make or the road dog record okay yeah i've never been on tour so that wasn't in my brain to relate to it but I can see that. Yeah, it, to me, it's one of those, I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics now. It's just, it's one of those things, and again, this is one of the things I love about Norma Jean is that it's, while being very carefully constructed, it's also something that you can relate to whatever makes sense to you. Yeah. The, like, how dare I tell you what the song means to you mentality. Right. Well, I, but I do believe that he had a very, a very concrete idea mm-hmm. of what he was doing, but it's open to interpretation. Yeah, and just to borrow that logic from the tool guy, the Maynard dude, that's his sort of go-to. Is It's like a, a cop-out, in my opinion, sometimes whenever he's like, how dare I tell you what the song means to you? And it's not necessarily a cop-out. It's just more of, I don't want to dis- dissect my art for you because I made a statement. It exists. It's out in the world. Make what you make of it. Right. I'm not here to answer 10 million questions about exactly what experience in my life inspired me to write this. It's about what you take from it. And if I put my experience 
at the forefront, then it's just going to be about my experience. And that's boring for some artists. And for me, I want to, I want to feel completely understood. So I tend to be very explicit and honest about what I write, but I, I respect artists like that who, who can make things that are so universal, but do so by being a little bit vague and not specifically giving everything away. Yeah. Cause if you say, you know, I'm, I don't even want to give an example, but something very specific about like why you're pissed, then mm-hmm. that's your story about why you're pissed. But if you just say, I'm pissed, then people understand that. So there's, yeah, there's definitely a value in ambiguity in that regard. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about either approach. Just this, the specific reason why I'm pissed is how you get songs like Institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies, <laughs> right. where Mike just wants a goddamn Pepsi, and his parents are like, you're on drugs, you're going away to the mental hospital or whatever. He's just, all I wanted was a Pepsi, just one Pepsi, and she wouldn't give it to me. And that's why I wrote this, because I'm just so mad, because my life is devoid of Pepsi right now. <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. But at the same time, it's also just as as valuable and as interesting to to hear someone say something that you relate to and you have no idea what the hell they're talking about but it it feels good and it feels important to you there are a few lyrics like that on the 68 album in humor and sadness for me one of them being so i think and i this is a big bold statement for me but i think my favorite song of all time by anyone anywhere is track 7n and I have listened to that song when I was borderline homeless in Denver in the middle of winter time when I was like trying to get through my life. That album was there for me. And it's such a it's such a lost record because it was the thing that Josh made in like a couple of weeks in a studio with Matt Goldman right after the chariot broke up. And it was just him and this guy that he brought in to, to play the drums that ended up being in a band with him. Sounds familiar. Cause that's exactly the model I adapted, adopted, adapted, whatever. But yeah, he, there's a stanza in that song. And I love, first of all, the fact that he named, all the tracks, individual letters that spell out a phrase because the chariot did the same thing. Right. Like they faced Um, each other and shot each other. Yeah. And in humor and sadness is regret not period. And yeah. And I thought that was cool because it's just be present, do the thing, make it sound strange and weird. That's the philosophy of that record is be spontaneous and tell the truth. And I've always been looking for a way to do just that. But the stanza in that song that hit me like a ton of bricks was so what is there left to say everyone's given up but i was born on a different day and i drink from a different cup and when you're going through some shit and you hear and especially the musicality of that song and the way that those words are conveyed that that song feels like a reason to live sometimes yeah and i'm sure a lot of people have a lot of songs that do that for them. And I've got more than one, but this is the biggest and my, my favorite one. And then there's also the lyric at the end of the record. It's uh, the, the song period because <laughs> it doesn't, they don't have name names, but he says a couple different lines, just exposing oneself the good and the bad, the dark and the light. He says, I am the troubled waters, make no mistake. And I don't necessarily know what that means, but the ominous feeling of it 
is just deep in my soul there is a ocean in the darkness that is just full of choppy murky waters and no one knows what lies beneath it and there's it makes me think of cthulhu or something <laughs> just like yeah. your consciousness being cthulhu deep down inside of you and then toward the end resolves the feeling resolves that that dark feeling with so here i am all the stars are aligned and it's just this is it there is no artifice. There is just the bareness of who I am. And this is the most perfect instance that I could think of because all the, all the stars are aligned. All the things are in the right place because I'm still alive and I'm existing. And therefore, whatever path I'm on is the right path because I'm still fucking here and I'm not hiding anything and I'm living fully and truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. There's the line that you said of, I am the troubled water, make no mistake. What was it? Was that it? I, I am the troubled waters, make no mistake. It, it really conjures the image to me of the the drowning man that is kind of Norma Jean's like they don't really have a logo but if they had a logo I think it would be the there's this picture of a, a guy and I think he's wearing like a striped shirt and he's like up to his shoulders in water and mm. it's like from over his shoulder it's just a little line drawing and I think he has both arms up and one of them is a hand and one of them is a hook and he's he's obviously like the feeling that I get of his backstory is that he was a pirate on a sinking ship. And that's like there. I think that was on Oh God, the Aftermath. And like a lot of people who, who have Norma Jean tattoos have that guy. And uh, and yeah, so there's definitely with Josh and I think also with Corey, there's this kind of pretty strong overtones of struggle. And, and that, that's something that I think a lot of people relate to. So we've talked about Norma Jean and the chariot in 68 and Christian hardcore and art and makeup and everything. So I guess the last nail left in the coffin of this here episode is, and I, this is super mean, I hate doing this to people, but I also love it because it forces us to talk about something specific. But what, if you have one, what is your favorite song well that is a hard question and i don't think i have a straightforward answer to it but if i'm talking about my favorite song on redeemer by norma jean then it would be the end of all things will be televised it's just it kind of exemplifies everything that i like about Norma Jean and everything I like about that album in terms of how I've talked about the the poetry of it and the musicality and the instrumentation and just everybody doing something that sounds very chaotic in a very calculated and measured way. And also it has two of the best, what do you call it? And I guess breakdowns, but so there's a part where there's this big buildup And he says, let me get it right. I'm going to look at the lyrics so I can get it right. He says, your day will come, turn the page, embrace your comforting company. The sun beats down on your comforting company. Everything is burning because, and then it goes, tonight the South is on fire. And it just, he yells, the South is on fire. And it hangs for kind of a second. And then there's this huge, just bashing you over the head. It comes back in really, really hard. 
And he says the South is, he yells, the South is on fire. I don't know, five or six more times. It feels like a hundred times, which is great. And so seeing them perform that song in Virginia was a really great experience. And then it goes on to have some of what I consider the best poetry ever. And then at the end of the song, he yells, Captain, the ship is sinking, have mercy. Yeah. And it's just, it's another one of those moments where it builds up to this thing. And he's just screaming, Captain, the ship is sinking, have mercy. And it's like this just incredible moment of, I don't even know what to call it, but something very intense and fun, especially when experienced live. Yeah, and I was going to ask you if you'd ever seen them live, but because you're telling me about the experience of seeing it live, I I have my answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen them probably eight or nine times, and I'm on the guest list indefinitely now. Uh, Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because I... So at at one point, Norma Jean were... Well, hmm. Hmm. Maybe I should save this for the post-show. I have a pretty cool story to tell. I think I'll save it for the post-show. Oh, hey, and that's how we tease into the post-show. I say it every time, so why don't you tell the people what the post-show is? So the post-show, or the green room, as it's called, (laughs) is a little bit extra for people who want to toss us a few bucks a month on Patreon. And it's basically just more of what you've heard. So if you like what you heard and you want to support us and you want to hear us talk more, go over to the Patreon and get the post-show, where today I will be talking about my experiences with Norma Jean that led me to be put on the guest list forever. And, uh, and also my Norma Jean tattoo. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that about does it folks. This is our episode. Thank you so much, Johnny, for being on Fanatomy and helping Fanatomy to be a thing. Absolutely. Uh, I'm super grateful for it. And um, I'm really glad that you could be a part of this and, actually just help me make this in general so yeah thank extra, you extra special thanks to mr johnny leftwich on the fanatomy podcast stick around for the green room y'all we're gonna hang out and talk about some stuff uh, like we always do take care of yourselves please get the shot whenever you can get the shot we will see you in person when we can see you in person until then take care of yourselves bye <laughs> And there y'all have it. That is the end of the episode with Johnny Leftwich. Thank you so much, Johnny, for helping this show come to life and for being a guest on this show and just diving into your favorite music with me. It was super cool. I love it whenever I have to listen to a record that I've never heard before and I have to try to digest as much of the subtleties as I can about it and then I get to talk with people who have sat with this with this collection of work for a long time and have a lot to say about it. That's the whole reason for making this thing. And I'm so grateful to have these conversations with my friends. And Johnny is no exception. He's always just kind of a background character on the show, but it was really cool to be able to have him on and, you know, give him some dimension as a human being who is a part of this thing and and, you know, just treat him like any other guest. It was just so much fun and so cool. And I, I'm really grateful to to have him doing this creative endeavor with me and uh, super, super enjoying all of this. So thank you, Johnny, for being on the show, for being a part of the show, for helping to create the show. I really, truly appreciate you, man. Um, 
everybody else listening to this right now, I really appreciate you too. And if you would please be so kind as to share this, if you liked it, you know, just throw it up on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Just tell somebody about it. Let them know that you liked the show and you think that they should check it out. And if you really, really like us, you can go to patreon.com slash fanatomy and check out The Green Room, which is our bonus episodes, uh, where we just talk to, um, where I just talk to guests as if we are in the green room at a venue during normal times at a punk show. Um, Anyway, I'm going to quit babbling. We'll see you soon. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. My name's Adrian Ash, and this is Fanatomy. Dies out!